Hi, welcome to the Romance Me Podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan, Smiley Bidet. Smiley Bidet! I don't know. I don't think I have the energy level for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Dude, we went to bed too late and I couldn't sleep. All right, I'm. I'm it's just, your fault. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Excuse you. you. <laughs> I'm just gonna blame you. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Bitter Spirits by Jen Bennett. Spirit medium Ada Palmer uses her gift for summoning and speaking with the dead at the Gree Gree Speakeasy in Chinatown. She's summoned to help the infamous bootlegger Winter Magnuson, who is haunted metaphorically and actually by ghosts. Boo. They work together (laughs) to uncover the identity of the Hexer cursing Winter. At the same time, they help each other exercise their own haunted pasts. Can Winter and Ada find their happily ever after before they begin their afterlife? The spirit board has said nothing so far. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So tell me about Grigri. Okay, well, this story takes place in 1927 in San Francisco, California. The flapper area rife with prohibition and bootleggers it's like two-ish years before the great depression so people are feeling really good because there's lots of money going around and everything the grigri is a what they call it a black and tan speakeasy in chinatown yes ma'am that it's open to people of all shades of colors yep so ethnically diverse less races than other parts of the city (laughs) one will hope (laughs) one one hopes it is owned by velma who happens to be a is she a witch i don't know she does voodoo yeah i don't know if it's ever really specified but yeah she does magic she's a magic doer i say she's a witch as a compliment (laughs) i'm just trying to find a good descriptor there i don't yeah i don't think it's specified a voodoo practitioner there we go (laughs) ada is one of the people that velma has hired for her speakeasy um ada's act is a spirit medium so during her show she summons dead people who belong to the audience members (laughs) (laughs) so during the show people in the audience will bring her um a memento mori or an item that their loved one owned and touched a lot and ada uses this object to summon the spirit of that person and channel them so that they can talk to their loved one again one thing about ada is that she is genuine like she actually does this she actually summons spirits she actually will host them in her body and they will speak through her and then she can send them away which is apparently A big deal, because not everyone who can summon them can send them away. Yeah, Ada. At the beginning of the book, Velma has summoned Ada to help her liquor supplier, Winter, aka Bootlegger. Winter, as so many romance heroes are, is huge. (laughs) You know, we need to put that on our trope list. Huge. Huge hero. (laughs) He's the hugeness. Yeah. Yeah. But... 
Ada shows up in the room. Winter's there with, I think, his assistant, Bo. He has also a ghost with him. Yes. <laughs> not not like with him, but like following him, I guess. He has a trailing boo. <laughs> a trailing boo. He has a bow and a boo. <laughs> are we punchier in the morning, Em? I kind of think we are. I know I am. <laughs> Ada recognizes immediately that this is kind of unusual because ghosts typically haunt places and they don't travel. And so the fact that this ghost has been following him is is weird. But she's able to make it go away. And Winter is appreciative. But he's also been poisoned by goo, <laughs> which is spelled G-U. And it's essentially like a Chinese cursing poison created by well created with a lot of creepy crawlies apparently and that's why he now sees ghosts and i guess it's killing him too but i'm not super clear on that it's definitely incapacitating him poison by definition should not be doing good things yeah i'm just not sure if it was meant to make him attractive to these spirits or if it was meant to actually kill him gotcha because when we learn like when we get the whole villain monologue at the end i'm not sure that the villain's intent was to kill him yeah maybe just weaken him enough like bring him close enough to death so that he can see beyond the veil i think it wanted to make him go crazy from seeing all the ghosts and then maybe he'd kill himself yeah good times yay (laughs) but winter is not bothered by ghosts so much as he is annoyed by them like he's not scared by them (laughs) of course he isn't (laughs) he's just really annoyed (laughs) he's like can you get rid of this please i don't like this thing can you make this thing leave (laughs) (laughs) it's like part of me is just like Dude, you should be scared. But on the other hand, like, I could so picture being there myself and just being like, (laughs) fucking seriously, dude, ghost somewhere else. Yeah. Can you just not? (laughs) Thank you. Just just don't. (laughs) This is not going to end well for either of us. Just just go. This is our meet cute. Yay. They are instantly attracted to each other. Insta-like. Ada just thinks winter is super hot and intimidating but in a hot way winter has a facial scar like over his eye one of his eyes is damaged so it stays dilated this literally scares small children ada likes it ada is covered with freckles we have a freckled heroine which i kind of liked yay she doesn't just have a few freckles she's all over she's very very freckly everywhere but the thing I didn't like is that Winter basically has a freckle fetish. Mm. He is into the freckles. Into them. <laughs> yeah. As a freckled gal myself, <laughs> I like having my freckles appreciated, but I don't want them to be fetishized and make me feel icky. It's like any physical feature that someone can be attracted to. Them being attracted is fine, just so long as that they remember it's attached to a person. <laughs> yeah, let's not objectify the freckles, folks. They are attached to a living, breathing person. A human. With thoughts and feelings. Yes. So Winter collapses because he's overcome with goo. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why I get such a kick out of the pronunciation of that. I don't know either, but yay, enjoying it. He gets helped into a 
bath that Ada and Velma prepare to cleanse him from the poison. He is naked at this point. Ada oogles him rather creepily, but Winter likes it. So maybe it's not that creepy. Yeah, sometimes the quote unquote creepness can be established with how the other character reacts. So even if it's out of your comfort zone or the readers. To be honest, it took me a bit to get into this book because this initial scene of Ada being creepy about Winter being naked and Winter being creepy about Ada's freckles. Is she freckled everywhere? (laughs) Just made me feel ew. Okay. And I would have preferred, okay, they're attracted to each other, but maybe let's focus on the action in this scene first. And then later they can think about the attraction they felt. Yeah, I felt like Bennett did a really good job with with action. Yeah. So it's not like she needed to use the other to hide or not hide, but divert attention like. This book has a lot of action in it, but it is definitely second fiddle to the romance in this story. And meanwhile, they go and do things. But the romance is cut front and center. And for in some spots, I kind of felt it was it was to the detriment of the story because they had such good chemistry. Like when Winter and Ada like banter and she pouts because he's grumpy. And then he like goes, oh, okay, fine. I'll do the thing you want anyway. And then she's like, oh, good. I mean, it's really cute. And there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I think would have been good on its own without the the tropey insta lust yeah but some people really like that trope so i don't know i'd be curious to see what the story would have developed like if it didn't have the insta i think for me if it's if it's a quote realistic story involving human characters on earth and there's no explanation for it because this world has ghosts and magic and stuff like that but there's no explanation for why anyone would feel instantly connected to another person or whatever they use the word soulmates in this book but i don't know like it's harder for me to suspend my disbelief in that sort of setting Mm. versus a fantasy setting or a sci-fi setting or some other setting that has like some reason for that to exist yeah i don't know i sort of felt like it was fantasy enough to warrant a insta or the possibility of an insta i would i would classify this book as a paranormal romance because of the ghosties Mm. Mm -hmm. and the sorcery and the voodoo and such but those things don't necessarily come with things like faded mates or soulmates or whatever unlike some other paranormals like a lot of shifter books will have you know like that faded mates trope Mm -hmm. and i don't know i wanted better i wanted more for for ada and winter i wanted them to fall in love gradually and not just be instantly overcome with each other i it's just me okay but i mean you are right you you often talk about like the fantasy of the romance because romance is fantasy on its own you know it's about fantasies well i think it depends on the tone of the book some fall into more like almost slapstick comedy like a rom-com yeah some sort of fall into that in which case that to me feels sufficiently more in the realm of fantasy to where i would i think tolerate insta attraction or connection more than one that was trying to be along the lines of realistic or realism that makes sense i mean this book is a paranormal but it's also kind of gritty there's some dark stuff in it and it's historical because 20s it's got a lot of humor in it it's got a lot of things in it i don't know i didn't want the insta lust in this case okay 
Fair enough. Okay, where were we? So Winter's naked in a bathtub. Ah, that's where we were. Naked. In extremely cold water. Yee. He gets cleansed from the poison. Velma does some voodoo magic and gets rid of the goo. And that was interesting because it's all these creepy crawly insecty type things like <laughs> the spirit essence of them like crawl out of him into the bathtub and then dissipate. <gasps> yes. <laughs> I liked that scene. I thought that was pretty gross. Oh no, it was, it was yeah. <laughs> Effective, but <laughs> we do learn though that Winter can still see ghosts because now that his eyes have been opened, they can't be shut. <laughs> So he has this fun new ability where now he can see spirits and they can bug him, but he can't do anything about it. Lucky him! (laughs) So he goes home with the help of Bo. Ada is like, okay, well, that was great. He's hot and I'm going to pretend that never happened. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) And Winter has like this whole thing like... Oh, she seemed like she was into me. She was certainly looking at me enough. She didn't seem to be repulsed by my hideous face. (laughs) But it could just be wishful thinking or whatever. But eventually, he does decide he's going to hire her to get rid of the ghost in his study because it annoys him. (laughs) See, this is the thing. I don't know. He's just like annoyed by these ghosts. Like, can you not, please? Yeah. I don't know why he isn't allowed (laughs) to be afraid of them. (sighs) (laughs) I think he is afraid of some of the later ghosts, but these particular ones that are just very stereotypically ghosty, he doesn't care. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he think his dad died of madness? So wouldn't he just think he's insane? Well, that was the Hexer's plan. Yeah, but he doesn't. It's like, he's like, no, insanity was my dad's thing, not mine. (laughs) Well, to be fair, he did get this validated nearly immediately yeah maybe you shouldn't have because he sees ada ada sees them too and she has the chili breath (laughs) yes it's all minty plus velma uncurses him he's got like this history with magic and and ghosties right from the beginning of the story he was validated park anywhere which makes it easier to not go insane or think you're insane true it was kind of a crappy plan this the hexer didn't really think this through very well i don't think no the villain gets a demerit So Winter goes to talk to Ada, but when he gets there to greet Gree, it's just in time for her show. So he doesn't get a chance to speak with her, but he does get to watch her show. And that's kind of fun. We get to watch the show through his eyes. She does amazing. I kind of wonder, I mean, I guess spiritualism was just such a big thing during that time period that people were super into it. Yeah. Because for me, I don't know that I'd like to go to a show and watch her talk to other people's dead people. Maybe to talk to my dead people but i don't have any dead people i want to talk to so i think it'd be fascinating just to watch but that could be the creeper slash writer in me (laughs) i don't feel a burning need to participate he leaves the show he's all okay i'm not going to do this this is silly she's obviously got her own thing going on but then after he gets home he finally caves and gets Bo to ask ada to come see him about handling his ghost issue Bo meets Ada at the speakeasy, says, hey, Winter would like to talk to you about his ghosty problem. He drives Ada to Winter's, it's not his house, like the place where he works, I guess. 
his office. That's what I thought of it as office. And Ada gets a little bit of Winter's backstory, but when she inquires more about the quote accident that scarred Winter, Bo is like, oh, that's something he'll have to tell you about. That's not my business to tell you. When Ada arrives, she and Winter talk and Ada shares some of her backstory. So since we're talking about backstories, <laughs> scroll to that part of the notes here. All right. Ada may or may not have shared all of this in this moment, but I'm going to share it with you now. Ada was orphaned when her parents died in the Great Fire in San Francisco, but she was adopted to a nice family and moved out of the area. Her adoptive parents also died. We also know that Ada had two prior lovers, but they sucked. I did like that she wasn't a virgin, though. Yeah. But yeah, Ada is very open with him. Like, yeah, this is all my trauma. <laughs> Here you go. Enjoy. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it seems natural. Like, they're just chatting. And then his ghost shows up because this ghost shows up, like, every afternoon or something and stays for a little bit and then leaves. So Ada gets rid of it and then... He's like, well, how much do I owe you? And she charges him $50. That That's like over $200 today. I looked it up. Wow. But she feels like she overcharged him and she's very gleeful <laughs> about it. <laughs> so a couple of days pass. And after one of her evening shows, Winter shows up to visit her in her dressing room. <gasps> Velma does check and she's like, oh, good, you're dressed. Even though Ada isn't like completely dressed. And then Winter comes in and there's this very awkward scene. She won't come out from behind the screen that she was dressing behind because she can't button up her dress. And he has a job offer from an acquaintance of his who wants her to come conduct a seance at a party. He discovers that, you know, oh, her back is exposed. (laughs) How titillating. He offers to do up her dress for her and she's like, okay, yeah. You know, it's very awkward. It's kind of like the sexual tension is building. The author did a really good job, I think, of building sexual tension throughout parts of the book. But then he actually doesn't touch her. He like freaks out because he gets a boner and he's like, okay, I'm leaving. I'll call someone (laughs) to come help you. Oh, and this is the scene where she gets the nickname Cheetah. Yeah. And throughout the rest of the book, he calls her Cheetah. And I hate it. If a guy started calling me Cheetah, I would ghost him. Well, that's your prerogative. <laughs> Ew. She never responds to this at all. Like, she doesn't even, like, acknowledge that he's calling her Cheetah. This is just a thing he does, and it's accepted. Yeah, it'd be interesting if she had put, like, oh, he's got a nickname for me that is cute, repulsive. Like, what her feelings about it are. Yeah, maybe I would feel better about it if she liked it. Yeah. Like, that. If we knew that she liked it, but we don't. We don't know how she feels about it. We just know he does it and she lets it. Especially him. since it's, you know, it's not sweetie or baby or anything like that. Plus, it's very clearly referencing her freckles. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't mention this, but in the office, he leaves her alone for a moment. I think he has to take a phone call or something. And she starts snooping and she finds his <laughs> porn book, like where he has like erotic yeah. postcards. He has several postcards with freckled women. It's his thing. And there's even a part where she kind of thinks in her head, like there there are some men who just put up with the freckles until they find someone else. And then there's some men who are fine with it. And then there are some men who like them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, ew. <laughs> Why can't there just be men who they think it's cute, but would think it was cute without or with or whatever? They like you for you. They like your qualities because they belong to you. 
It's it's mainly like you just want to make sure he's not thinking of her as an object. Yeah. It's like he's attracted to her. That's the line. And not the, in this case, freckles, but whatever. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense. You, you get, I mean, people get initially attracted to people due to physical yeah. characteristics. And then they form a deeper relationship with that person. They're like, oh, actually, I really like this person. Even if they didn't have those characteristics, I would like them. It's fine if the freckles are the reason that, you know, he A, initially noticed her and B, wanted to say more than just hello, goodbye. To me, that's fine to an extent. They do have chemistry, but yeah, you just want to make sure. (laughs) Is Winter attracted to Ada or just the thing that she has on her person? Yeah. And he he is attracted to her. He likes her her personality. Yeah, and I mean, they they sort of communicate well when they have disagreements. Sort of. They do better than some couples. (laughs) They do. Oh, yeah, they do. (laughs) There's a scale. (laughs) Or a diagram or something. (laughs) Three days pass. Winter desperately wants to know if he's going to see Ada at this dinner party. He doesn't know if she accepted the job offer. Even though he's kind of been low-key stalking her, he still hasn't been able to find it out. Ada did accept the job, but she's also kind of freaking out. Like, is he going to be there? And if he is, is this chemistry mutual between us? Or was he just being nice? She's not sure where she ranks in his esteem. And it must be difficult to figure out, especially with this kink and his nickname and stuff. You know, it raises that question again. Am I human or sex doll? What is it? Yeah, there's that aspect to it. And then there's also just the fact that Winter, I mean, we get to be in his head. So we know he's like cute and giddy over her. Yeah. But he, I don't think, portrays that at this point in the story whatsoever. No, he he is Mr. Stoneface. He is Frost Giant. He is grumpy. <laughs> Although, this is the type of grumpy hero that I like. This is you know, true. There's a line. <laughs> and this is the this is where the line is. Winter is grumpy, but still still cute. And he yeah, he possesses the capacity for being playful and flirtatious. So he's not just off in grump land with him and his grumps. And self-flagellation. It's not his main personality characteristic. It's more like a defense mechanism for him. Yeah, totally. Well, when you have children screaming at you in terror. Y'all, he made a little girl on the street cry just from seeing his face. It was sad. Yeah. Okay. Ada shows up at the party and she's almost immediately aggressively flirted at by some random drunk dude. He's just icky. But she was doing fine. She did not need to be rescued. Yeah, this is not her first rodeo. And Winter shows up and he's just immediately like, no, mine. Yes, I need to protect her. Partly, but also I think it's just like, no other man may see her. She's my sex doll. Fuck off. She is my woman. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I can't blame it on lateness. It's not even really that early anymore. But I'm sleep deprived. (laughs) (laughs) He called dibs. (laughs) She has no agency of her own. She can't choose who she wants. (laughs) He's like, no, no, this one already has an owner. Go find an unowned woman. (sighs) All right, we're not going to talk about this anymore. We're going to move on into the story. 
because in this particular instance, it was okay. Yeah, it was fine. Ada liked that Winter was possessive because she's into him. And she didn't feel threatened by his possessiveness. The woman who's throwing the dinner party, Flory, Winter's acquaintance, is really overly familiar with Winter. And she is drunk off her ass. But she's all touchy-feely with him and revealing like little snippets from their past together. I guess they went to college together before Winter got kicked out for... (laughs) For publishing obscene material. <laughs> Winter, I think, is just shining her on. He's like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Sure, Flory. Uh-huh. You're drunk. Which, with drunks, sometimes that's the best way to go about it. Depends on the drunk. Ada does not like how familiar Flory is with Winter, and she's kind of jealous. Flory is a widow, so she talks about how much she likes being a widow because... She can do whatever the fuck she wants with this money that she inherited. Isn't that wonderful? And considering women didn't have a lot of options then, sometimes. See, Flory chose to marry an old rich dude and then wait for him to die. As career options, it can be an understandable one (laughs) back then. Yeah. You know, in the 20s? It's less understandable now. Definitely. (laughs) I think. Although, you know, whatever. Whatever (laughs) arrangement people have, I don't care. Ada instantly dislikes Flory because jealousy, but also like the longer Flory talks, the more Ada dislikes her. And she decides, you know, I don't need this job. I'm not going to take jobs that I'm not into. And so she tells Flory, actually, I've changed my mind. And it looks like the party would do better without spiritualism attached to it. So I'm just going to go ahead and leave. And Flory starts pressuring her. No, 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 you have to do the seance and pushing her into it. And Ada just feels really uncomfortable with it. But she gets mad and she's all, well, what? What is your dead husband's name? And and so she summons Flory's Mm -hmm. late husband, (laughs) hosts his spirit. (laughs) And the spirit reveals that he died after catching (laughs) Flory in an affair. (laughs) which it causes this whole thing. Yeah, it's pretty intense. I don't think Flory will be hiring (laughs) Ada again. Winter escorts Ada outside to get a taxi home. Yeah, I must admit, at least his acts of possession didn't (laughs) blow up the party. But at the same time, Flory kept poking and I'm just like, dude, you don't want to do this. This isn't going to go well for you, Flory. Just stop, stop. But of course she can't. Yeah. No, she was, she was just, and I mean, she was drunk, so that could be part of it for sure. She's like, freedom! Whoops. Drunkenness lowers one's inhibitions. It doesn't make you into a completely different person. No. So she had that in her anyway. And I don't know that Flory deserved what she got, (laughs) but I liked it. (laughs) That was a well done scene. I liked how Ada was all angry and she just is like, okay, fine, fine. You want to see a ghost? Here. Here's your ghost. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> so while Winter and Ada are outside waiting for a taxi, she's telling him about her lancet because he asks her, like, why'd you stab yourself with your lancet? And she says even like a brief instant of pain helps her enter that trance-like state she needs to summon a ghost. She can enter a trance state on her own through time, but if she doesn't have the time, then pain is a really good way to get there. 
They start arguing. Ada's jealous. They start talking about sexual experiences. You're promiscuous and you're gross and you have porn. What did you think about her arguments? It seemed weird at this point in the story because they have like this chemistry, yeah. but they're not together at all at this yeah, point. Yeah, the whole time in my head, I'm like, you guys have no quote unquote agreement. He could go sleep with a football team, soccer, American, whatever, both of women. And it wouldn't matter because once you two are a thing, if you guys agree to monogamy, then that's the thing. (laughs) Does not matter. Yeah. After you're a thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's odd. It did feel a little soon. I think the jealousy would be fine. Is that the argument where she goes and she, I was really kind of mad at her that she did this, which was where the scars brought up and her reaction to that was boo-hoo. I don't remember. It could have been. Yeah, that's fucked. And I just went, excuse you? (laughs) I mean, granted, socially and societally, men having scars is very different from women having scars. However, this scar literally scares small children. And he's sensitive about it, which understandably. Yeah. To the point that he doesn't have any mirrors that show his face anywhere. Yeah. Which you find out later. But yeah, her reaction, I was like, oh, no, that's quite cruel of you. Yeah, that is messed up. I th- Yeah, I forget which argument it is. Yeah, they argue a lot. They do. <laughs> It definitely (laughs) fuels their fires or whatever. This argument, it starts going into her sexual experience. And this is when he learns that she's had two prior sexual encounters and they both sucked and they weren't good kissers. And he's like, oh, is that how you judge the worth of a man or whatever? Then the argument starts getting sexually charged. Although I think all their experiences together are kind of sexually charged because they do have like that insta lust, they do have that jealousy right away. Yeah. And they they have the possessiveness right away. It's mutual. Oh, yeah. He acts that way and then (laughs) she does that right back. I didn't find that necessarily unrealistic either. I mean, if you really like somebody and you think they really like you, I think feeling jealous of them getting attention from someone else is maybe not reasonable to act on, but okay to feel. I didn't have a problem with any of that. I had a problem with her boohooing his scar. And that's not just because she herself is scarred and is sensitive about it. Yeah, that's true. She has scars all over her hips from stabbing herself with her lancet. He accepts them, is into them, whatever. No, it was that kind of cruelness on her part. Okay, so the argument gets sexually charged. He kisses her. She kisses him back. It's hot. It starts escalating. And then a ghost shows up. And this is a Boo. weird ghost. It's it's corporeal and it can interact with the physical world. And then they're freaking out about this ghost. The ghost is after Winter, clearly. Then a taxi arrives and almost hits them. And Winter gets Ada out of the way, but gets hit on the shoulder. Taxi driver's okay, guys. It's all right. (laughs) But the ghost is still attacking Winter. And when Winter gets up, he finds out he's got some Chinese coins in his pocket that he didn't put there. And weren't there before this party. And he discovers the ghost is trying to get to the coins. I think one of the coins falls out or something and the ghost goes to pick it up. And that's how he draws the connection. Oh, yeah. So he ends up throwing the coins out away from him and the ghost collects them and then disappears. So they are freaking out. <laughs> Ada's like, I have not seen a ghost like that before. That is new. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Winter gets his car to show up and he takes Ada home. He t- he tells Ada that he wants to hire her on retainer to help with the ghost problem, you know, and to help him figure out who's trying to get him. And Ada's like, well, what about this kiss thing? And he's all, no, no, this is about the ghost thing. It's it's okay. All right. Ada starts doing some detective work. She talks to her landlady. See, Ada lives in an apartment above a restaurant and she rents it from the owners of the restaurant. She lives in Chinatown. Her landlady is Chinese, and so she asks the landlady about the significance of the number four in Chinese culture and learns that it is very unlucky, and Ada starts talking about she has a friend who's cursed, and where can she go to learn more about Chinese curses and Chinese spirits and things like that. And her landlady, uh, Mrs. Lin, refers her to her acupuncturist, (laughs) Dr. Yip. And at first, Ada's like, what? And she's all, no, no, no. He does other stuff. It's fine. So Mrs. Lin draws Ada a map, and then Ada goes and calls Winter, and they plan to go see Dr. Yip together. And when they head over there together, she starts poking at Winter's past. Like, so what about this accident? Huh? What about this? What about that? But Winter's kind of prickly about it. He's not ready to open up. They get to Dr. Yip's. He seems at first like kind of intimidated by Winter, but then he plays it off like, oh yeah, Winter, oh, you're just a large person, aren't you? (laughs) Um, He gives them some info on Chinese curses, tells them that there's this fortune teller known as the Black Star who also may be a sorcerer, and that might be the person who cursed them. And then he offers Winter acupuncture to help his hurt shoulder, and while he's doing that to him... This is kind of a cute scene, too, because Winter strips off, and Ada's like, oh, it's my lucky day. I get to oogle some more. And Winter is, like, very, like, oh, needles, no, I don't like this. Why are we doing this again? I know. I kind of liked that, actually. (laughs) I liked it, too. But while this is going on, some goons show up and they're like, why are you in Jews territory? Because Chinatown has a bunch of gangs called Tongs, uh, Chinese gangs. And Dr. Yip's shop is at the border of Jews gang territory. But these goons are like, you're in Jews territory. Why are you here? Because they all know Winter is a bootlegger and they're worried about winter like encroaching or at least supposedly that's why they're worried about it um although winter has like a like a friendly collegial sort of relationship with jew they definitely have an understanding like they appreciate each other they're colleagues in the (laughs) underworld so the goons attack them winter and ada fight back one of them has a gun and is holding it on winter so he's not able to do anything ada is being held by another one but she grabs some lit incense and stabs him in the face with burning incense which i just love <laughs> me that too she did that she very much defends herself yeah she's awesome this distracts the gun wielding goon who then gets de-armed by winter and then winter punches him in the face so they're both th- they lost essentially. And then Winter's pointing the gun at them and he's like, I'm not in Jews territory, but I am going to talk to him and say that you guys attacked me and then he can mete out your (laughs) punishments. And then he sends them off. But then when they head back to Ada's place, Winter's like, oh, you could have gotten hurt. That was stupid of you. Didn't you think I could protect you? Are you afraid of me now? And all this. And I was just like, oh, can we not? Like, could he have just praised her i liked that she calls him out on it to a point she's like i didn't think you couldn't protect me i just acted yeah sweetie 
It's not about you. It had nothing to do with you. It had yeah. everything to do with the, like, this is just the outside stimulus caused me to fight. And I stabbed a dude in the face with burning incense. Just how things go now. This is me. She's living her <laughs> truth. <laughs> he's like are you afraid of me now and she's like oh no actually you're actually kind of hot so he should be afraid (laughs) of her (laughs) doesn't freaking occur to him though oh he is into her fire yeah well things burn (laughs) that way she scoots closer to him in the car and kisses him which kind of surprises him at first but then he's like into it she ends up straddling him they're making out it's great and then when he drops her off at the club she just goes inside and he's just i kind of picture like one of those like little hee sort of moments for him because he's just super into her (laughs) he's all happy because she seems to like him too you know she initiated the kissing yes he's got the princess tweety birds yeah that's kind of what i I picture like one of those sort of moments I don't know. He had like a real goofy, cute vibe at that point. He did. He leaves her a note inviting her to a luncheon hosted by Jew to apologize for the goons that attacked them earlier. When Ada and Winter show up um, at Jew's house, Jew and Winter reassert their mutual understanding about the territory, you know, doing their manly grunt grunts and such. And then Jew brings in the goons and he asks Ada if she wants their death. (laughs) He's like, I will do this for you. (laughs) He's very calm about it. He's very chill about it. And these dudes are just like, oh, oh, shit. But okay. (laughs) And Ada's like, no, no, thanks. (laughs) Winter proposes that they trade info instead. And so Jew sends everybody out and they talk about the mystery of who attacked winter and all that and he agrees to help them find the black star and then he also says he wants to gift ada a custom gown and so she gets dragged off with all the lady people Sukien is one of the ladies that works for Ju. He essentially owns a sewing establishment and a prostitution ring. Like that's his thing. You know how winter is a fisherman and a bootlegger. Yes, multiple businesses. <laughs> they have their proper business and then their real business. Yes. Sukiang gets Ada's measurements. Ada finds out that she's a prostitute and Winter is a former customer of hers. And Sukiang's just a very chatty lady. Oh, are you the second wife? And Ada's like, um, excuse you? The, the second wife? <laughs> she had no idea that Winter used to have a wife. And she realizes that, oh... Oh, so not just his parents died in this accident. Also, the wife died in the car accident. Ada's just kind of inundated with all the jealousy. I think it's twofold because she doesn't like the thought of the first wife because she assumes Winter was in love with her. And she doesn't like the thought of Winter having sex with Sukien and how chill Sukien is about it. Like, yeah, he was great. I liked making him smile. I like Sukien. I thought she was amazing. She's also older, so I think that's why she kind of looks at Ada like, 
Oh, I remember that stage. Yeah, there's something about her that I really appreciated because initially I was expecting her to be, you know, potentially another obstacle. I mean, aside from just Ada's insecurity, Mm. I was expecting to her to feel like she had some stake or some claim on Winter's affection, but she really doesn't seem that way. She enjoyed her time with with Winter, but yeah, she enjoys her position within her group. Like she's Jew's woman. She has pride of place, so to speak. She's higher up in his organization. Like, she's able to choose her customers and things like that. So she chose Winter. And good that she did, because, you know, dude needed to smile. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like it's fine. Ada's just got some issues to work out. I don't know. Part of the whole thing with the prostitution ring just sets me on edge because of sex trafficking. Yeah. But the way it's yeah. portrayed in this book, it's very, it's it's like the fluffy version. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you basically have Sukin's point of view. Although the first ghost, was she a prostitute? I know she was a, a woman in her She may have been, clothes. I'm not sure. I think they assumed she was. Yeah, those first, like the first several ghosts that Winter is haunted by, this was likely intentional by Bennett, but it was sort of like, wait, how are they coming into his life? You know, like the first one, I guess, was attracted to the poison. Yeah. Like that was the magnet. The second one was like a ghost that had always been in his office. He just yes. never realized it. Right? Yeah. Okay. And then the third one. Yeah, that was with the coins. Okay. Yeah. And then that's when they're starting to put like, oh, the magnet thing together. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think... I. Th- because I don't think he knew the I lady. I think he did. The lady ghost. He didn't know either of the first two. He knew the third one. Okay. The third one was the first man he ever killed. Yeah, that was personal. Which, you know, the villain, which I guess we won't say yet, but the villain had to know him really well to know that, right? Or is that like, would that have been like... Head- well, they would have to have really good intel, I guess. Yeah. But Makes me wonder. on the other hand, I mean, Winter, he's he doesn't really hide who he is. You know, everyone knows he's a bootlegger. Everyone is probably aware of all the various skirmishes well, he's been in and who died from those. So really, it just has to be someone who's concerned with his business. Yeah, but to know the person, you know what I mean? It's one thing to be like, I think they've pil- killed someone. It's another to be like, yeah, yeah, no, they did. And here's their name and address. Oh, used to be, you well, know, like, yeah, I that's guess detail. Unless, and, and I don't remember precisely, but it could be that those people that like that person that he killed was another bootlegger. I can't remember exactly if it was or not. But if it's somebody who's interested in the bootlegging business, you know, they would probably know the big names in the business. Because Maybe. later, yeah. um, they find out, like, Ada and Winter find out about people on the news, um, things that happen, and they're people that Winter knows from bootlegging. Yeah, and I guess murder in the story, it, it is kind of treated casually, because there's the, like, Velma in the beginning, where it's like, yeah, she killed her husband, and we kind of feel like he deserved it, and then moving on. <laughs> it's just like... Oh, well, and the okay. thing with with Winter too, it's not like it's not like he murdered those people. It's like he killed those people, which is yeah. a dis- a distinction, right? Yeah, and then Jew with the oh, by the way, would you like me to kill these goons for you right. as a peace offering? Right. The the it's worth just, of human life yeah. 
quite <laughs> casual. It's pretty low in this book, I think. <laughs> Seems to be. There's a lot of death in this book. I mean, everybody's family is practically all dead. <laughs> Just about everybody. Anyone that you hear some backstory about, yeah, I'm the only survivor of my entire family. In my head, I'm hearing the Weird Al song, you know, everything you know is wrong, only everyone you know is dead. <laughs> Pardon me while I rewrite perfectly good lyrics in my head. <laughs> so Ada's jealous about Sukien too, which she shouldn't be really, because for Sukien it's a business transaction. Yeah, she shouldn't, but you know, Ada doesn't know that yet, or doesn't feel that yet, or whatever. She's still in that place where she's not letting herself recognize that she has any feelings for Winter, aside from lust. That's true. But after she gets her measurements, they go back out to the boys and Sukian asks, oh, what color did you want the gown? And presents a couple different colors. And Winter wants this like champagne oyster type color that's really pretty. And Ada picks yellow instead because she's mad at Winter. <laughs> so I'm going to choose a color that is not going to look flattering. <laughs> Or does it? I can't remember. It probably looks fine. <laughs> well, it's like a bright yellow. It's the same color that Sukien is wearing, actually. Oh. <laughs> wow. I know. And then when they get in the car to go home, there's this discussion slash argument. And Ada tells Winter, I can't kiss you and take your money at the same time. I'm not a whore. And then she starts crying. And she says... Something Jeez. like, I'm not sad. These are angry tears. I don't even know you well enough to cry over you. And so Winter finally caves and tells her a little bit about his first wife and the accident. Do you feel like she was trying to emotionally manipulate or do you think it was just... I don't think she was being manipulative. I think she was just pissed off and had a lot of emotions and didn't know how to feel and was raging at him because he's keeping things private while she's told him her whole backstory. Maybe she's starting to think that maybe he doesn't care as much as she does because of his secrecy. She feels insecure. Do you think that there's an obligation, though? Like, just because a character reveals everything about their life, do you think that then obligates another character to do the same? I don't think there's an obligation there. But I do feel that if, I mean, we'll, we can say a character, but I feel like if one person <laughs> tells another person a dark secret of theirs, and that other person doesn't reciprocate in any way, then person number one should just go, okay, well, that person doesn't like me the way I like them or care about me the way I care about them and just let it go. Yeah. I think that if you, I think if it's equal, like if you're equally friends or equally romantic partners or equally whatever in the relationship, then there's reciprocity. What do you think? No, I agree. I think that it shows an equal level of trust. And if you're going to have, you know, that trust and build and blah, 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 then yeah. It makes sense for Ada to feel insecure in this moment because not only has she found out that Winter's been keeping things from her, big things, but she also has the jealousy from the whole prostitute thing and first wife thing. And it, I think it just built up in that moment. And she's just like, blah. <laughs> other women in your face kinda 
again, I guess I just, I mean, I'm just not emotive like some of these heroines or like most of these heroines. And it's hard for me to, <laughs> to get into that sort of mindset where I would be at the ah! sort of moment instead of the, so tell me about your relationship with Suk Yen. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're going on normal dates. <laughs> and it's not like. <laughs> or like, yeah, so. Suk Yin told me some really interesting information. Can you guess what it might be? <laughs> <laughs> or even like saying, you know, I feel really hurt that you're keeping things from me. Is this not a thing for you? Because if it's not, let me know and I'll leave you alone. But again, I'm yeah. really straightforward and much less emotive than Ada. And I think it's also like they haven't, I guess my thing too is like they haven't known each other very long. So how much information is she really entitled to? It's not about entitlement. It's <laughs> about know. mutual trust and respect. <laughs> They've gone through a lot of weird shit together in this short amount of time. <laughs> and he knows a lot about her. That's true. So there's a power differential just, just due to the amount of information he has on her. That is true. I get it. I get that she wants something from him. She wants give-give. She is give-give. Winter does tell her some stuff. He tells her about how he was the one driving the car the night of the accident. And it was his fault. And it was his wife and parents that died in the car which she's also assuming that he really loved her too he hasn't disabused her of that notion at this point probably he's still because he's still caught up in his guilt that's true he does have a lot of that and when he drops her off at work she's still angry she says i don't want to work for you anymore i think she's still caught up in the whole i can't get money from him and kiss him that makes me like suki mm, that she's prostituting her gift and herself yeah so five days pass, Winter is obsessively trying not to obsess about Ada. Bo tells Winter he learned some more about a necromancer that led a tong with a weird initiation ritual that involved insect bites. And they hypothesize that this might be related to the goo because the poison from the beginning of the story had the weird insecty thing. Oh, and Bo says that Ada's gown from Jew has arrived. So now Winter has a reason to see Ada again. But like a little chicken man, he pulls in his younger sister to help him. Uh, Winter's younger <laughs> sister, Astrid, she's 13 years younger than him. So I'm picturing she's about 20-ish because I think Winter's in his early 30s. I think he's 30, isn't he? She's somewhere in the realm of 17 to 21. You know, that age. <laughs> 16 going. <laughs> but he has Astrid go shopping and buy a fur coat for Ada to go along with the gown because this is the 20s. I'm wearing fur is cool. Yeah. So oh. Ada gets a knock on her door and it's Astrid along with her seamstress slash friend person and she's like oh hi i'm winter's sister and i have a coat for you here's my seamstress she can make it fit you ada is super alienated she's like who are you friendly uh, exuberant woman with your gifts <laughs> <laughs> and astrid even gives yes. astrid also gives her the box that has the gown in it ada opens it and sees that it's the the color that winter liked <laughs> I think she's happy that it is, but also, like, that is not cool. Jew made the gown for winter then, didn't he? He didn't make it for Ada. <laughs> it was never going to be for Ada, let's face it. 
Astrid's like, yeah, Winter's still super into you. He thinks you hung the moon. And, you know, when he's with you, he used to be more like he was before. And Ada's like, oh, like before the accident? And Astrid's like, no, before he was married. And then Ada says, well, why didn't he come here then? And Astrid's like, oh, well, no, he's downstairs in the car. He's afraid of you. He's into you, but he's scared. He sent me up here with this note. You can check yes or no. And I'll bring it down to him. (laughs) So Ada goes downstairs and she tries to give the coat back. But Winter just kind of talks her into circles and she ends up trying it on and then deciding to keep it. And then Winter asks her out to dinner. He specifies that it's a date, which I think is important. Yes. Not a work meeting. (laughs) The next night, Ada and Winter go to the Palace Hotel for dinner. Ada's wearing the gown and the coat. When she takes her coat off... When they get inside, Winter kind of freaks out a little bit. He's all, oh my goodness, that dress is sheer. And she's all, no, I checked in the mirror. It's fine. It just has sparkles covering all the important bits. It's the one you wanted, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it was fine when they ordered it. But now, now that she's in public. When it was academic. (laughs) When it was theoretical hypothetical but he is a lot better than a lot of romance heroes are about this sort of thing i think he's more like oh whoa i was not expecting to see so much of your glorious bosom there (laughs) yeah he's not like here wear my coat (laughs) yeah or okay let's leave now no one else can see you i mean he's not like that so Yes, thankfully. While they're at dinner, Winter finally tells her more about Paulina. He tells her about how he and Paulina weren't happy together and she had wanted a divorce, but he perceived that as failure and so he refused to give her a divorce. And then two weeks after that is when the accident happened. Part of the reason the accident happened was because they were arguing, which set off his dad because his dad had some mental instability, which then distracted Winter while he was driving, which caused him to have the accident. So he carries a lot of this guilt. He feels like if he had granted Polina the divorce, then none of that would have happened at all. But you can't live in what if no. Winter also suggests that <laughs> I mean they have some more conversation too before he brings this up. But he suggests that he and Ada have an affair. <laughs> it wasn't like I'm sorry that my my ex-wife is dead. Wanna sleep yeah. with me? <laughs> I hated my ex-wife and she's dead, but let's fuck. <laughs> Help me through my grief. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there's a better segue. Yeah, so he suggests it, and, and it's very casual, too. He's just like, we should have an affair. And she's like, um, okay, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> they try to figure out where they should go. Ada says, well, we're in a hotel. And he's all, oh, yeah, totally. And so he goes and gets them a room. <laughs> And then that is an excellent point. <laughs> and they get upstairs, but once they get in the room, she gets kind of nervous. And so he's like, okay, you know what? This maybe we shouldn't have sex tonight. They make out. He wants to go down on her, but then she starts kind of freaking out again because she doesn't want him to see the scars on her hips. It's just interesting to me because after they have that fight, and she basically, when he brings up his scars, and she's like, oh, boo hoo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Her scars are different because they're on her body. And then she's all sensitive about her scars and he tries to make her feel better. And she just like kind of dismisses it. He's like, that's smarts, but he doesn't know why. I'm like, yeah, because she's being a hypocrite. That's why it's smarts, honey. (laughs) 
It's because she doesn't care quite as much for your feelings as you care for hers. Well, they both have their walls up. They both take and they're not giving very much. Like they're just parsing it out very slowly. It's like, okay, I will give you one and you give me five. Everything's a negotiation. It really is in this book. He is, I don't know. I don't want to say okay with not seeing her scars. He deals with it. He's respecting her boundaries. That's a good way to put it. He's not pushing. He respects her boundary and then proceeds (laughs) to go downtown by lifting the skirt up instead. But then after that, they're interrupted because there's a raid on the hotel because this is the 20s and it's Prohibition era. They get dressed in a hurry. They make it down into the concierge and behind the desk, there's a door to a secret tunnel that runs under the city. (laughs) And Winter's like, oh, yeah, this is how we get the alcohol to all the different hotels and stuff. They're going through the tunnel. It's a work meeting after all. (laughs) When they're confronted by a ghost who seems to be after Winter. Winter recognizes this guy. It it was actually Bo who killed this ghost, not Winter, but he died because of Winter's business. And so Winter kind of puts together that both of the corporeal ghosts that he's seen have been people who, you know, he's responsible for their death in one way or another. Ada says, let me try to send the ghost away. And Winter at first is like, no, me, man, you woman. But then she's all, um, excuse you, medium, (laughs) hello. She goes to touch the ghost to send it away, but it I get the impression like there was a zappy sort of thing going on. Yeah. She says, ow! And the ghost keeps coming after them. Winter pulls her behind him and he gets ready to shoot at it like that's going to do anything. And she's clutching onto his coat. And at that moment, she notices that there are four mismatched buttons on his jacket that look like they were kind of hastily sewn on. And she pulls them off and she throws one and it Turns out the ghost is after the buttons. They throw all the buttons. The ghost gathers them all and disappears. They make it back above ground at some point. Winter drops Ada off at home and goes off to warn his men about the raid. She goes to bed. And then the next morning he calls her and asks her to breakfast. And so she goes to the Fairmont Hotel, which is where he ended up staying. And she gets there in the rain. So she's all wet and shivery and... They were planning to have breakfast at first, but instead they have the sex. Yay, finally. Um, But before they have the sex, he gets out the condoms. She's like, what? I'm not disease ridden. He's like, "Uh, no one said you were. (laughs) Neither am I. (laughs) But he says, you know, this is so we don't make a baby. (laughs) It's a precautionary measure. And he asks if the other men she slept with used them. And she's all, no, I guess I was just lucky. And he says, well, apparently they didn't care about you then. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) And she's shivering. And so he is undressing her and he says he wants to see her scars. Actually, he says, I'm going to see your scars. And she just lets it happen. Is that the force? Is he using some sort of force thing on her? (laughs) (laughs) Like a Jedi mind trick? Yes. (laughs) There we go. Maybe. (laughs) Hey, I know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek, and that is where it ends. (laughs) The one has Muppets. A Muppet. This is true. So far, yes. So he finally sees her scars, and he tells her 
that he wants her just the way she is. Like, it doesn't make a difference to him now that he's seen them. And he says, I want you, Cheetah, every inch, scars and all, which would be really sweet, except he still is calling her Cheetah, and I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, we don't really know how she feels about it. We never find out. Yeah, we don't. I hate that nickname so much. Ada kind of realizes that she's falling for him. And then they have breakfast in the afternoon instead of in the morning. Something I really liked about the sex scene in this book, though, is that it moved the story forward. Sometimes sex scenes seem gratuitous. I mean, even though it's a romance book and yeah, I kind of expect them to have sex, you know, at some point, whether or not it's open door or closed door or whatever. I really appreciate when the author takes the time to make it meaningful for the story the characters get closer and yeah you know they let down their walls a little bit or they learn more about each other or something happens you know during the scene that progresses the story and i feel like this scene did do that after they eat breakfast <laughs> luncheon whatever winter <laughs> is looking at ada's locket she kind of is acting a little weird about it and he opens it and asks her who the picture is Like, is this one of her previous lovers? And she says, no, that's my brother, Sam. And he goes, I thought you were the only one alive. And she goes, yeah, that's because he's dead. So he gets some more (laughs) of her backstory. She and Sam were both rescued from the Great Fire in San Francisco, were adopted together to a family called the Lanes. And then Sam, who was a year older than her, joined the army and was killed during training exercises. And then... Her adoptive parents died in a train derailment. And then her adopted uncle, Emmett Lane, came and said, actually, you weren't really adopted. The paperwork isn't official. So sucks to be you. And puts her in an orphanage. Yeah, he's a great guy. And then sells the house and takes all the inheritance and all that. She also tells Winter that she started being able to see ghosts after her birth parents died. And Sam is the one who believed her and he even helped her find another medium. And after she moved out of the orphanage, you know, after she aged out, she went to that other medium and learned how to channel ghosts from her. And she talks some about Sam's mottos because Sam has all his little nuggets of wisdom as an 18-year-old. Yeah. Uh, Never look back, always forward, and live in the moment. And so that's why she tries to live her life the way that she does. She asks Winter about the raids and Winter's a little conflicted about telling her because his father's advice when he was first learning the bootlegging business was never tell women anything about it. But he decides, (laughs) you know, I've broken all the rules so far. I'll just keep going. So he tells Ada there were actually five raids on five different hotels all within minutes of each other and that the feds had gotten a tip from someone in Chinatown and they were trying to catch a bootlegger who served those five hotels. So they weren't specifically after winter. They did end up catching that bootlegger and arrested them. And it's starting to look like there's a conspiracy that someone in Chinatown is trying to get rid of the bootleggers who operate there. Uh-oh. Later that night, Ada goes to work. She has a wonderful, amazing, awesome performance at work. She starts thinking about how being with Winter makes her feel super happy and confident. And this is really at odds with Sam and how Sam talked about love because Sam was very much, love only brings pain. You yeah. should avoid it. <laughs> 
And then after the show, uh, she gets she meets with a speakeasy owner from New Orleans who offers her a job in New Orleans when her contract with Velma expires. And she accepts the offer, even though she doesn't want to leave winter because she's still trying to follow Sam's advice, I guess. Ugh. I was really kind of peeved because she doesn't tell Winter this. They start meeting regularly at the hotel and continuing their affair. Every day they meet up and hang out and fuck and all this. And she doesn't tell him, oh, by the way, I'm leaving soon. (laughs) Yeah, she very much keeps it to herself. And then a week passes and Bo tells Winter that he finally found out some information about the Black Star, who turned out to be a fortune teller at the Lion Rise Temple, but only on Saturdays. So you better hurry up because it's Saturday right now. (laughs) Do you think Ada, when she gets upset earlier, that winter isn't opening up enough? Do you think that's a fair thing for her to say, considering she thinks she might be leaving and then definitely knows that she is? Expose yourself to me. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, because at the time in the car when they argue slash made out, she knew she was probably going to go to New Orleans at that point. I mean, that is her thing, though, like moving on. And when he suggested they had the affair, he's the one who said it was temporary. So at that point, there was an expiration date put on their relationship by Winter. When she accepted the affair proposal, she accepted it with the understanding that it would be over soon because Winter knew she was leaving and Winter didn't want anything serious anyways why she didn't tell him that she was going to be leaving like at that point I don't know but as to your question I don't know about fairness because I think they're two different things I think the point where I talked about how she wanted him to open up to her that was before they began the affair that's true and so their relationship didn't have the same parameters that it does at this point in the story but it does seem odd not to tell yeah yeah sometimes her behavior strikes me as very peculiar I think she she really struggles she kind of swings back and forth because she has her natural inclination to follow in the steps of her big brother follow his advice live the way that he would have wanted her to live you know and embrace that because he's her only family Mm -hmm. and then she has the other side where she has this fierce chemistry with this man and she doesn't really know how to handle it because it's at odds with the way she's been trying to live her whole life So she kind of swings back and forth and she doesn't really make a decision which direction she's going to go until she accepts the job in New Orleans. But then she doesn't let Winter know because screw Winter. He doesn't (laughs) have feelings anyway. So conveniently, when Bo is telling Winter these things, Ada is actually with Winter because they're doing their affair. And so they get ready to go to the temple. And on the way there, Winter tells her that, oh, yeah, another bootlegger actually turned himself in. He said he was hearing like the voice of God or something. And and then Winter points out that Ada's been acting kind of different lately. And he's like, what's up with you? And Ada says, oh, yeah, well, you know, I accepted that job in New Orleans. And he's like, oh, well, when are you leaving? And she says, oh, in a week or so. And this just like smacks him in the face. It's like, excuse me? And he says, New Orleans is a vice-ridden port city, Cheetah. And she says, San Francisco is a vice-ridden port city, Mr. Bootlegger. And he's like, oh, well, fair. 
<laughs> and then this is where I start getting frustrated with Winter because he doesn't want her to leave, but he doesn't give her any reason to stay. He's just like, no. That's Isn't she in danger too? Like theoretically, if she leaves, she'd be less in danger. Yeah, she would. Which I think the baddie even says that later too. Oh, if you would have left. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of like, yeah, uh, no, he winter? wants her to stay, but he doesn't say, oh, stay and I'll help you open your business here and help you find clients. He doesn't say, oh, stay and I'll help you get a bank loan and whatever. Or even even stay and be my mistress at this point. He doesn't say that. Yeah, he doesn't. He's falling for her, but he doesn't know how she feels about him. And I think he feels angsty about it, especially because she's planning to leave for another job. I'm just really frustrated with him at this point. It's like, dude, if you have feelings, can you please just tell her? <laughs> no, feelings are, are best dealt with in a jar. <laughs> Uh, they go to see the Black Star. He does admit to making the poison, but he says he didn't do any of the other stuff. And he's very forthcoming. He's like, I, I was just hired. Here's all the info. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot. It was a third party who hired me. They said that the person they were working for was working toward a higher cause, which was to free Chinatown from the white people. By the way, I feel a little nervous now, but here, look up the hive. And then they leave. It was a fruitful yes. journey but not a lot of headway and then the next day winter's busy which ada thinks he's avoiding her which he probably is even though he said he's working on this info that they found out from the black star guy and so ada is alone pondering love and life and how sam said love inevitably led to loss so quote one's goals in life should be to remain single and avoid a lifetime of pain and suffering the world was falling apart anyway why would anyone want to get married and heaven forbid bring another child into this mess she's finally questioning her worldview like if sam was right then why does she feel the way she does about winter but if sam is wrong then she's quote defacing his memory she's very conflicted why does it hurt so bad to leave this time <laughs> she goes to bed and she has a nightmare about the fire and when she wakes up her apartment is actually on fire <laughs> Yes. This is a well-written scene. It was very creepy and scary and she's all disoriented and she's got like this weird taste in her mouth, but she doesn't really know what's going on. And she grabs her clutch and escapes out the window, but it turns out the fire escape is broken and she's kicking at the ladder, but the ladder won't go down. And she's yelling at passersby who alert everyone else. And then the fire escape falls off the wall. <laughs> And Ada crashes on the ground on the concrete and her foot is injured and she's all disoriented and amazingly doesn't feel hurt at this point, which is odd. Bo shows up. It turns out Winter's had him watching her from time to time, but no one has really seen who lit the fire. And Bo is the one who realizes Ada is drugged on laudanum. And that's why she's all out of it and not feeling any pain and whatnot. He takes her to his apartment and gives her a glass of salt water to make her puke. And then while she's just kind of recovering, because <laughs> this was a lot, he starts giving her a guilt trip and says, you know, you're breaking Winter's heart by leaving. Uh, and Ada says, I lost everything I own, my clothes, my savings. I can't believe it's gone. I get to win the pity party. <laughs> Every penny I scraped together for the last three years, because, you know, no banking account for women. Every time I try to plan for the future, the world conspires against me and rips it away. Look at me. I don't even have shoes. 
<laughs> She's like, I have no choice but to go to New Orleans at this point. I have to start over. I can't make a living any other way. And he's like, well, why can't you just be a receptionist or something? And she's all, excuse you. <laughs> but I think she makes him see her point. I'm just so frustrated with the men in this book. Bo is, of course, on Winter's side, which I don't blame him, I guess. But it's like, can you have a little bit of empathy for her situation? Nope. Woman in 1927 America, living alone, working, supporting herself, <laughs> no family, nothing to fall back on. I don't know. <laughs> no safety net. Obviously, she should just give it all up for a man. Obviously. I think that's one of the frustrating aspects of just the romance genre in, in general. A lot of times stories come across like that. They take everything away from the heroine. So then she is in a position where it's like, well, do you want to be dependent? And yeah, sure, we'll make you happy. Or do you want freedom of some kind? Yeah, the best stories are the ones where the hero builds the heroine up. But there there are often stories, especially it feels like in historicals, where the hero is like, well, now you are my property. Well, yeah, and depending on what time in history they're trying to emulate, either in a fantastical sense or a quote-unquote literal sense, women couldn't own property. They literally may not have those options available to them. Yeah, I mean, even in Ada's case, she wasn't able to open a bank account. Yeah, She didn't have exactly. a, a man taking care of her. She didn't have an owner. Basically. She falls asleep because she's still drugged. And when she wakes up, Winter's carrying her. He's taken her to his house and he says, it's my fault you were targeted and you're going to be staying with me and I'm going to replace everything you lost because it's all my fault that you lost it. And he says, and because of the way the author wrote it, it was funny, but it's also gross. He says, you're not going anywhere. If I have to lock you up in the turret attic, I will. Consider yourself my prisoner. And she says, do prisoners get bad? <laughs> I know, I was kind of like, I know this is not supposed to be like how it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the thing, like her response to it is what made it okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because she, she didn't take it seriously. She's all, can I have a bath, though? But I wonder how much she's really joking <laughs> when she's on laudanum. I don't think she was joking. I think she really wanted a bath. <laughs> <laughs> I think the books, I think the text says that she just didn't have the energy to argue with him and was just like, okay, I guess I'm a prisoner. <laughs> can I at least get clean? <laughs> Let's see. Oh, Winter also, Winter tells her. I feel like Winter tells her all sorts of things. But they also yeah. find Find out that the fortune teller they spoke with had jumped to his death from his apartment window about the same time that the fire started at Ada's, so it wasn't his fault. And then, of course, Winter's <laughs> like, you need to move in with me. I want you to stay here forever and ever and ever. And they have a fight about it. Because Ada doesn't want to just be his mistress forever. She has a career and independence is important to her. And she just lost all her money and she needs more money. And he's like, I can give you money. It's like, whatever. And she's just like upset about it because she's like this isn't even about the money and winter doesn't say anything like i care about you he doesn't say i love you he doesn't say no he doesn't give her anything but he has all these thoughts in his head he's like i want her to stay for me why can't she just think i could get a loan and open my business why doesn't she want to be my mistress i'll take care of her I'll buy her a place to run her business <laughs> and I'll help her find customers and make sure she's safe and me, 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 me. I'm a man and I will do the things. 
But he doesn't even tell her that part. Not that Ada would have no. accepted that, I don't think. No, not at that stage. Mm. She's too angry or too worked yeah, up. So he's off in mopey winterland and Astrid, <laughs> his sister, comes in and she's like, I think, you know, she actually loves you. I saw the way she was looking at you when you gave her that coat. You should figure out what she wants and give it to her and that'll make her happy. And he's like, well, what if all she wants is to go away? That's at odds <laughs> with what huh? I want. The sister's advice was a little weird because it's like she almost made it sound like it's his job to make her happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like manage her. Yeah. I can see how you read it that way. I can understand like too how like to a 17 year old like just make each other happy. Well, she's an adult. She is sort of responsible for her own feelings. Yeah, she's responsible for her own feelings, but he could give her stuff, and he hasn't even given her words at this point. Well, no, I mean, she doesn't want stuff. She wants to hear that she's important and loved and yada, yada, yada. Those things would go a long way toward helping her feel happy. If she felt secure in her relationship with Winter, I think she'd feel more happy. He's too busy feeling insecure on his side. He can't bear to share how he feels. I don't even know if she would really be receptive to hearing that do you i think it would take her a while to get used to the idea yeah he'd have to do it repeatedly i don't think she wouldn't be receptive but it would take a while yeah because she's in that place where she's starting to question the wisdom of sam (laughs) so after he talks to astrid he goes back in to his room to see ada and finds out she's upset because she's discovered her lock is gone because it was in the fire and he's just like why are you so concerned about an object and she's like um it's not an object it had the only photo that I have of Sam, which is the only thing I own that has anything to do with him. Which just goes back to the whole empathy thing. Like, why does he not see it from, or try to see it from her perspective at all? He's stuck in Winter's brain. Which you'd kind of think that he should be able to since he's lost loved ones. Yeah, I feel like it's really weird for him, especially at this point. He knows so much about her, all the loss she suffered he should be able to put two and two together and figure out why she clings to her independence so hard why she's doing things the way she does it might be the same reason that she's like oh your scars are not a big deal but mine are they have these weird kind of blind spots yeah maybe so The next morning, Ada wakes up, winter's gone. Ada is actually greeted by Astrid, who's like, hey, look at all the new stuff I bought you. Winter's replaced your entire everything. (laughs) Montage. (laughs) Kind of, I pictured like a fashion show montage. (laughs) Ada decides, you know, I'm going to continue on living the way Sam would want me to and not mourn this locket anymore. And I'm just going to move forward and not look in the past. I don't think it really gets addressed all that much, but she she can't contact Sam anymore, right? She doesn't have anything of his that she can touch. That's the only way she can call them. Was the locket never something of his or was it no, only hers? It was hers. Oh, I think I, for some reason, misunderstood. So she's never been able to contact him at all. I guess my question now is if she had something of his, could she or would too much time have passed? My understanding 
understanding is if it was something personal to that person, she would be able to contact them. And it seems like if it's like two decades, that is a long time. So how long ago did Sam die at this point? Like, would she, if she had something of his, would she be able to contact them? It's been nine years. So I guess that's iffy. Yeah, I don't know if she would or not. That isn't really addressed in the book. And I don't know if she would want to either. That was kind of something that I was expecting to get addressed in some fashion. And yeah, I don't think it ever is. No, it's not. Because even later when she does get more of his belongings, like that's not brought up at all. Do you think she should have contacted Sam? Do you think that's a moment that should have happened or would have been good to happen? Honestly, I kind of like that she didn't need to. Yeah. Because it's not like contacting these spirits is a fuzzy, wholesome experience. It's intense. Yeah, and she might not want to be... She has her memories, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like a happy, fuzzy sort of thing. It's a holy shit sort of thing. (laughs) I don't know. I guess because I'm curious. I wonder why nobody else was curious enough to ask her. Someone did ask her about it, and she said that that was why she couldn't... That she didn't have anything of his. But you know what I mean? Like, address the thing. Well, if you did, would you? Oh, yeah. Well, maybe they figured, you know, this is a sore spot and I'll stop pushing. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, I don't have that button or that knowledge. (laughs) I'm like, oh, this hurts. Let me press harder. How much does it hurt, though? (laughs) What if I press this way? (laughs) Tolerable. (laughs) After the fashion montage... (laughs) (laughs) the housekeeper asks her if she needs anything else she says actually can you hang up mirrors in winter's room (laughs) and both the housekeeper and astrid are like oh no 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 winter would not like that but ada says oh well you can tell him it's my fault and so that happens yeah they do do that (laughs) and then the other thing ada does is she tells astrid oh let me teach you how to drive because winter's afraid of driving because of accident yeah and astrid has never been allowed to drive either all through the story up to this point winter doesn't drive he gets driven and ada doesn't drive because she doesn't have a car (laughs) and astrid doesn't drive because she's winter's younger sister and winter said no basically (laughs) So while all of these things are happening, Winter has gone to check out Ada's apartment and determined that nothing is salvageable, everything sucks. And then he goes and talks to Velma and asks if she can help find the person who's responsible for the fire, you know, through magical means. And Velma says, no, I can't find them, but I can curse them if you want me to. (laughs) And he's like, yes, yes, I do want you to. And she says, okay, well, if I do that, then, you know, there's this potential blood debt from this curse. And I'm not taking that on. That's going to have to be either you or Ada. And Winter says, well, it's all my fault that this happened. So I will take on any blood debt from the curse. There wasn't any backlash, was there? I kind of felt like I was left hanging with that as well. Because, you know, shit hits the fan pretty quick in this book after that. Yeah. But I I have a feeling that it was going to anyway, so I don't think it was really related to the blood curse or the blood debt. Yeah, I don't but know. But Winter does have a busy day because after that, after he after he gets <laughs> these two people who started the fire cursed, he goes and confronts Emmett Lane, aka Ada's crappy adoptive uncle. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I really liked that scene. He was very like, me man, I do things. <laughs> 
I know that you faked the the whole issue with the adoption and that it actually was legal and you stole Ada's inheritance and now I want stuff and you will give give. <laughs> <laughs> and Emmett is like, okay. Winter says he wants Sam's army footlocker and he wants all the money that's currently in Emmett's bank account. <laughs> give, give. <laughs> In check form, please. Thank you. Winter gets home from his busy day to find Astrid driving. He's like, uh-oh. And he knows it's all Ada's fault, Ada's influence. And he's like trying to pull up like this anger, like, no, my past trauma. Let's superimpose <laughs> it on this. And then he's all, you know what? Actually, I, I, I'm not really mad. I'm just kind of like, ugh. Raw. <laughs> you know, he sees how happy Astrid is and he kind of realizes how amazing Ada is. There's this quote, um, it says, and in one day after losing everything she owned, after nearly being burned alive in her own bed, Ada had done what he was never able to do. She stepped into his home and swept away two years of melancholia hanging over the household. He's kind of like, oh, wow, what a woman. I'm also pissed, though. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even say anything. He just walks inside. <laughs> I'm very angry, but I'm keeping it all on the interior. <laughs> and then Ada follows him in and into his room. And he's like looking at the mirror. Like he's not looking in the mirror. He's looking at it like it's an intruder. <laughs> What is this alien being? Ada's like, I'm sorry. I just want you to see yourself the way I see you. And he's like, well, how do you see me? She's like, oh, you're so wonderful. And then they have like this angry kissing moment because she's mad at him. And, and we learn at this point that she's been doing these things kind of to poke, poke. She's like, oh, you don't like mirrors? Well, poke, poke. Oh, you don't like driving? Well, poke, poke. <laughs> Because she says to him, you said you didn't want anything permanent. And he lies to her and says, yeah, well, nothing's changed. But then they have angry, angry sex. And for Winter, it's life altering because he's just like, you know, I'm done. I'm done putting up this wall. And he tells her that everything I have is yours. My home, my body, <laughs> my protection, my heart, all of me. And then she cries. She seems not all that moved, or maybe that's just, maybe that's not so much about well, her. Later we find out that she's not sure he meant it or if he just said it because sex. Yeah. So, so she's still suspicious. Like, she doesn't trust his motives. She doesn't. She doesn't trust it then, which is understandable. But then she also doesn't trust it later in danger situation, which it's danger situation. So it's sort of like, of course he's going to say whatever. Yeah, we'll get to that because I have some thoughts about that too. Remember, she's leaving in a week. The whole rest of the week, he's avoiding her. And then the day before she's supposed to leave on the train to New Orleans, she confronts him and is like, why are you not talking to me? Are you not going to talk to me ever again? Why won't you look at me? And they have another fight because he's just still, why won't you stay? By the way, I have a check from your uncle in my pocket that I'm not telling you about. <laughs> he even belittles in a way the amount of money that she lost because she's like i you know this is all my life savings from three years and he's like yeah i'll give that to you it's basically you know i can get it out of my petty cash yeah which is just fucked and then and then she <laughs> says well it's not even really about the money it's about my independence and yeah. he's all well you're just living in your past he's referencing her allegiance to sam and all his 
you know, life mottos and whatnot. He says, why don't you get alone and see private clients instead of doing shows? And she says things like, well, how can I stay? Because what we have isn't guaranteed. We'd barely known each other for a month. And then he says that he loves her, but he says it in such a way that's really assholey. He's bitching about Sam and she's like, you have no business talking about him. And he says, well, yes, I do because he's come between me and the woman I love. And then Hmm. she doesn't respond to that even though she's kind of caught up in the moment, like she wants to tell him how she's feeling, but she's tongue tied. And then she says, I don't want to be just your mistress. And he says, marriage is just a piece of paper. And she says, well, I'm going to New Orleans. And he says, well, fine, go away, never come back. And then he yells at her, get out. So she leaves and goes to work. Yeah, it was a very intense scene. It really is. And there's a lot of feelings in this. It, it's hard to describe very well because there's a lot that they're thinking that they're not saying. Yeah. Basically, he wants her to stay for him without any other reason to stay whatsoever. She's like trying to say, look, I cannot live my life the way I want to live it and stay. You're going to have to give me more than just you want me to. I don't know. Like it's a negotiation for her, I guess. And for him too. Although for him, it's more of an ultimatum, I suppose. For good or for bad, it's like he's been, I think, feel the most emotionally transparent through the whole story. He's more in touch with his emotions, I think, because she's told herself, no, no, these emotions are bad because Sam doesn't like them. Yeah, I guess. The Sam thing, I think, gets a little too much at some points. She just not really dealt with her grief, I guess. I don't know if it's allegiance to Sam or like she's, it's almost like she's an alkalite of Sam, you know, like... It's kind of how it felt a little bit. And she worships at the altar of Sam. Basically. (laughs) To a certain extent, it's understandable. I mean, who else does she have in her life, really? Yeah, no one. And by keeping Sam as alive as she does, it makes sense. Then she's never really alone. It's not that even, I mean, yes, maybe she's preventing herself from feeling emotions, but I don't know if they're necessarily as well conveyed in the story, at least maybe not to me. Like you said with the cheetah thing, it's like, I'm surprised I don't know how she feels about that. And at that point in the story, like, and early on too, like, I know winter is all in. I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, there is a point where she does go all in, but it's not very convincing to me. Well, I think too, the thing is, is that all these conversations are had in the heat of the moment and when she's fighting she's not willing to give an inch which I think makes sense for her character. I think if they were able to have these conversations calmly, maybe she would react differently. Maybe. Yeah, it's a little concerning to me that they don't. They're talking to each other. They're talking at each other. But I still feel like they're not communicating. Yeah, the tender moments aren't when they talk about the future. The tender moments are when they're getting to know each other. When they're talking about the future, it's always a fight. So after Ada goes to work, Velma calls Winter to tell him that two unidentified men burned to death in a truck that misfired so yay the curse that she did worked and then winter is kind of beating himself over the head like i should have told her about that check from her uncle would she have made a different choice if she knew that she had five thousand (laughs) dollars 
Yeah. But I'm conflicted because I want her to say she loves me back. I don't want my money to be the reason that she stays, but I don't want her money to be the reason that she goes. Or not the reason, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think if he had given her the money, which is her money, and she chose to stay because of that, he would always question, did you stay because it was easy for you or did you stay because you wanted me? And I think that's why he didn't want to give it to her right then. But he also realizes, wow, that was dumb of me. and so he has the housekeeper pack up ada's things and put them in the entryway because she's leaving and he's not going to force her to stay no which i mean there is a level of admirable in that is the bar that low maybe (laughs) i don't know And then back to Ada's point of view, her last show at the Grigri is terrible because she feels terrible. And as she's getting ready to head back to Winter's house, she's starting to rethink these things. And this is where I think maybe you didn't give her enough credit. Because now that she's out of the moment, she's gone, I shouldn't have asked him for more of a commitment because we've only known each other a month. And gosh, he knows that I think that we haven't known each other long enough to get married. And maybe I should get alone. Maybe that's a good idea. And well, he did say he loved me did he mean it that would be cool because i kind of love him back even though i haven't actually allowed myself to think that word i think at this point in the story if she had made it home to winter's house they would have had like a talk and she would have stayed yeah she's not unreasonable you know she just was in the moment and now she's thinking about it and like okay you know what i'm taking a step back you know he's actually right yeah maybe i should stay Unfortunately, though, she does not make it back to Winter's house. She's waiting for a taxi and Dr. Yip shows up and he says, oh, hey, I need to talk to you, actually. And she's all, oh, okay. She's a little weirded out. Like now, right now, it's late, whatever. (laughs) He says he has something to tell her about Winter and he gets her to get in his car. He's like, yeah, you know, let's drive back to my shop and we can talk there. So she gets in the car. But guess who's in the car, Em? Santa. One of these days, I'm going to be right. Hey, I could have said Odin. (laughs) It was the goons from earlier. Remember the goons that accosted them in in Dr. Yip's shop? Yes, Cauliflower Ear. I remember Cauliflower Ear. Yeah, there's Cauliflower Ear and Incense Face. (laughs) Weirdest band name ever. (laughs) (laughs) comedy duo apparently yip had convinced them to work for him after they got kicked out of jew's gang and (laughs) cauliflower ear has a a cloth with some chemical stuff on it and he threatens her like i'll drug you if you don't sit tight and behave yourself and so they start driving and yip just does a whole info dump he's like yeah my brother was killed while he was jailed on angel island and i've come to the city to reclaim chinatown for the chinese without spilling a single drop of blood and I don't have any blood on my hands because arranging for people to kill themselves isn't the same as actually killing them. (laughs) Well... And then Ada says, well, what about the fire? I was going to die on that fire. And he says, well, the fire was meant to scare you. And the people that set the fire weren't supposed to drug you. That was their own idea. That wasn't my idea. (laughs) Sometimes you got to (laughs) delegate. People just get a little too enthusiastic. Yeah. They wanted extra credit. They keep driving and they get out of town and they keep going further and further away and Ada starts getting worried and they get to a dry dock and they board a ship that Yip owns that's been dry docked. 
And while they're going on the ship, he's like, you know, our abilities are similar. I have a business proposal for you. I'm a necromancer. We'll talk about it later. And then he locks her up in a cabin on the ship. Uh... Meanwhile, back with Winter, he's obsessing over this argument he had with Ada. And he realizes, you know, I was a bad boy. I shouldn't have withheld the check from her. He's just pacing around waiting for her to get off of work. And finally, Jonte is like, um, do you want me to pick her up from work? And he's all, yes, I'll go with you. I want her to stay no matter what even if she hates me i want her to stay i really liked the scene in the car though because jante is like a very proper driver slash butler sort of dude and he's all i will be forthright with you sir (laughs) if you marry her you should let her drive the car she's been using to teach astrid and she'd make a good wife and help you forget about the first one and (laughs) all these little advices or whatever and Winter's like I had no idea you had an opinion about any of this and Jonte's like well you don't pay me to have an opinion you pay me to drive you that's fair <laughs> they get to Grigri and learn Ada left half an hour ago with Dr. Yip and then Winter remembers the bees that were embroidered on Dr. Yip's Chinese slippers and he's like oh shit <laughs> hive bees, hive crap And they go to Dr. Yip's shop, but no one's there. And he has literally no clue where Ada could be. He goes to Ju and gets Ju to get all the Tong leaders to meet with him. But none of them admit to knowing anything. And so he calls in a favor to the police. And he learns from the police that there have been grave robberies over the last few months. All people Winter has been connected with in some way, including his dead wife, Paulina. Uh And then Ju comes to see Winter. He has... Has Sukien with him, and he's like, Hey, Sukien has some information for you. And so <laughs> Sukien says her friend's sister has a job that's on a ship, and the other night they brought a white woman with freckles on board the ship. And Winter's like, Well, shit, how do I know which ship it is? And Sukien says, Well, it was a dry docked ship. And he's like, <laughs> And then he asks if they would be able to sneak something onto the ship for him. Because while they were looking for Ada, he found her lancet. Back in Ada's point of view, she tries to escape valiantly, but is drugged and passes out. When she wakes up, a girl brings her food and significantly taps the napkin on the plate. And under the napkin is her lancet. And so now Ada has some hope because she realizes somebody, hopefully Winter, but she's not sure, knows where she is. Yay! She hides the lancet under her garter. And then she's taken to a dining room on the ship that's lit by candlelight because there's no electricity on the ship and Dr. Yip is standing behind a coffin and now he presents his business proposal to her. He's going to show her what he can do because that will convince her more than words and he calls a ghost and binds it to the bones in the coffin and the ghost sits up in the coffin and it looks just like the corpse. I forget what he calls it but Ada says it's a revenant and he says yeah that's what it would be in English and he specifies that it has to do whatever he commands it to do and he's going to command it to go after her husband and Ada's like who is her husband and then she realizes it's Paulina and then Dr. Yip is like so now that you know what I can do do you want to join me (laughs) Mm, I don't think this was a sales pitch you thought it was and she says well what's my other choice like what happens if I don't join you and he goes well can you swim 
She's like, no. He's all, all right, well, you'll be in the ocean. That's actually a mercy because, you know, your spirit will dissipate quickly. You are welcome. So while Ada's privately freaking out, there's the sound of guns. And Yip is a little concerned about this because none of his people carry guns. He's very anti-gun and pro no drops of blood. You know, he's cool with... With raising ghosts from the dead and... (laughs) There are limits. (laughs) Causing people to go crazy and kill themselves. But, you know, no blood, please. To be fair, everybody has their boundaries. (laughs) Winter shows up and Yip pulls Ada in front of him like a shield and says, I had plans to come after you tonight. I have men watching your house. And Winter says, I know they're all dead. Which I liked that part. Honestly... In my, <laughs> despite that I did the audiobook, I heard it in my head like as as that line is kind of delivered, like because I'm Batman. <laughs> That's kind of how I picture <laughs> it. I have already thought of everything that you could have thought of, <laughs> and I've blocked it. <laughs> Damn right, I win. Ha ha. And then Yip says, oh, I didn't realize you actually cared about Ada. I didn't realize you would actually come to her rescue. And then Winter starts bluffing and says, oh, I don't care about her. I'm here to protect my business interests and take back the stolen booze for my associates. And this is the point you discussed earlier, how Ada doesn't realize, like, she's not sure if he's bluffing or not. Yeah. But you have to remember. I don't have to, but okay. That they did just have a huge fight where he yelled at her, get out, I never want to see you again. Yeah, still. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, <laughs> I've never been stuck on a boat with, like, a murderous guy <laughs> trying to, like, use me as bait or anything. Yay. Goal achieved. <laughs> thus far <laughs> um but yeah i mean i would just figure like dude say whatever you have to say so that this can not happen i will say whatever i can think to say i think that's fair but i also think it's fair for her to wonder if he meant it or not fine be kind if you must <laughs> winter finally sees the coffin ada uses her lancet and stabs yip and gets loose from his hold and then yip commands paulina to go after ada and yip tells winter that if winter kills him paulina's spirit will be doomed to stay on this plane forever and will never stop trying to get ada Ada's over by the coffin and she realizes she has a little moment she's like oh instead of channeling the ghost in himself he tied it to these bones in this coffin And so she stabs herself with the lancet so she can enter that sweet trance state, touches the bones in the coffin, and sends Polina through the veil. Yay! And then Winter asks Ada to turn around. And when she does, he shoots Yip. (laughs) Look over there. No, no, you can't watch me kill someone. It didn't happen if you didn't actually see it. Just don't watch them become ghosts. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, when they're at the point where she's stabbing him multiple times with her lancet, I think it's fine for him to shoot Yip in front of her. Yeah, I think she's made of sterner stuff. I agree. Okay, this is why I feel a little bit for Ada, because right after this, so now she's safe, right? Right? Winter could have said in that moment, now that everything's fine, don't worry, I love you. Let's talk later. All is forgiven. But instead, he says, here, you need to go back to my house and we'll talk when I get back. We need to have a talk later. But I'm busy dealing with the aftermath right now. (laughs) See, and that that is why I feel a little bit of sympathy for Ada. She has such a hard time believing that Winter cares about her because literally no one has cared about her for nine years. That's true. And she's been on her own for nine years. The last thing he said to her before all this happened was, get out. I never want to see you again. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think it would have been nice to have a little bit of a pat on the back and no, no, I didn't mean it. Yeah. I still care about you. Let's talk about it later after I deal with all this shit. <laughs> I think he had an opportunity to be softer with her and missed it. Yeah, no, I see that. So she gets back to Winter's house. She sees all her stuff packed up in the entryway and she's like, oh, well... Maybe he wasn't bluffing and this talk is him telling me goodbye forever. It's not until that point that she's sure that he wasn't bluffing. Because even on the ride back to his house, she's telling herself, yeah, okay, no, he was just bluffing. It was just a thing. I'm sure this talk will be fine. And then she gets there. It's like, oh, oh, I'm all packed up. And so she decides she's not going to wait for him to come back. She wants a ride to the train station now. Jaunty asks her to wait for winter. Like, oh, don't you want to wait for him? She's like, no, we've already talked enough. It's fine. But then she notices that Sam's footlocker is in with her other luggage. Oh, wait, what's this? Sam Palmer on it. And she goes and opens it and has all his stuff from the army in it. And she's just got all the warm fuzzies because she realizes that winter must have gotten this for her somehow. Inside the trunk, there's a telegram that was never sent from Sam to Ada that says that Sam had fallen in love and was planning to get married. And it's almost like this is her blessing from Sam that now it's okay to love Winter. She realizes, you know, maybe Sam didn't know everything because he was an 18-year-old guy (laughs) at war, an orphan just like me trying to make sense of the world. Epiphany! Jante tells her that Winter had hunted down her uncle to get Sam's stuff and doesn't tell her but basically confirms that Winter does want her to stay. Yeah. So when Winter gets home, all the trunks in the entryway are gone and he has an oh shit moment. Crap, did she leave? And he goes upstairs and finds her putting away her things in his room. And she turns to him and it's almost like she's, like it's almost like a fight because she's very firm and like confrontational about it. She's like, I'm not leaving and that's final and you're going to protect me and give me money to start my seance business. So there. (laughs) <laughs> so she's she's finally at this point, this is where she she's all in and she lets him know she's all in. And then Winter says he reveals that he actually bought her a ring. He's like giving her the ring and she says, is this a proposal? And he's all, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. It's very awkward. Yeah. They share I love yous. And then there's an epilogue uh, that takes place the next year. They're married. She started her business. It's super successful. She's pregnant. Winter's brother is coming home home to visit so he's probably in book two and now winter drives sometimes and they adopted a doggy and named it sam the end (laughs) how did you feel about them naming the dog after her brother uh well there's lots of friends that are named sam in stories so maybe that's a good name for a friend i'm just weirded out like i don't know like (laughs) if i had a dead sibling i probably wouldn't name my pet dog after them no i might name a child after them yeah it's it's like an heirloom to a certain extent and that just it seems weird i don't know as much as that's a good or bad thing you know to be named after someone else it can be you know i guess it depends how many strings are attached to that name yeah is it simply a loving gesture or is it and now i expect you to be that replacement for that person if you happen to be a family that has middle names middle names work (laughs) yeah (laughs) How was the audiobook? For the most part, it was really good. I really enjoyed Amy Landon's narration for the most part. I think she really did a good job with the characters. 
just narrating in general. The really the only off-putting element was maybe I misinterpreted, but it seemed like every Asian character had an Asian accent. Maybe mm. that's perfectly valid. I mean, I don't know all the characters' backstories or whatever, you know, and I'm not trying to say that gosh, characters can have accents, but it just I, I don't know. But then there's there's an element too, like was it a Cantonese accent or was it like a generic problematic Asian accent? It's awkward. I don't know if I want to say. No, it's it's tough. I, th- I think it's good to make people aware, you know, maybe that's not something you feel like listening to. Yeah, it's, it's more of an awareness thing. Whatever choices are made about the narration, sometimes, sometimes that's the performer's call, sometimes it isn't. So I don't know. Apart from that, I felt like Landon delivered a real solid performance. Was it just one narrator this time? Yep. So M, are you happy for their happy? I think Winter's really happy. I guess I'm happy he's happy. I'm not convinced she's happy, so I feel iffy. And they're definitely not the couple you want to live next door to. (laughs) Because they yell at each other all the time. Ah, that gets awkward. (laughs) Because then you're like, is it the okay yelling or is it the bad yelling? (laughs) And it's just, my oh my. I think for me, I'm in that space where I don't know if they're happy or not because they finally, finally just got together at the end. I think the part that was problematic for me with Ada I'm all in moment was she reads about Sam going I'm in love and so her brain is like okay so I can fall in love too and for me that was a real problem because then it's again it's about Sam making a choice and her going along with it I almost wish that the message from Sam had been something along the lines of him having his heart broken or no message yeah or no message and her choosing love choosing winter that kind of thing I I think for me it seems like she did choose him because she was ready to have that conversation with him before she got kidnapped yeah i can see and that and this moment where she had the note from sam was almost like sam saying yes go forth and live your life it was like an afterthought like a blessing on on her decision i think in that case then maybe i wanted to talk to her brother <laughs> You know, if if that's the... <laughs> Maybe she can now that she has the trunk. You know, if that's the purpose that it serves, then, you know, a touching conversation with her brother might have been better than, or more effective for me than the note. I am glad there was no touching conversation from the brother. I think that would have taken me completely out of the story. <laughs> No longer a romance or... No, just a different... Like, it would change the mood. That's true. It would have changed the vibe. Because the ghost aspect in in this story is very spooky and other. And if she's able to call forth Sam and have, like, a happy conversation with him, it kind of changes all that. It isn't, it isn't, because then there's that patron that has that conversation with his brother. And I think the first words out of, well, Ada's mouth, but brother speaking was like, dude, you got bald or something something to that effect but yeah you're right the the overwhelming the ghost is possessing her body at that moment yeah and which is creepy the overwhelming ghostly interactions are definitely among the spooky variety i'm not sure if i'm happy for their happy i'm hopeful for their happy okay there you go i think if they keep communicating it'll be good communicating and not not necessarily making arguing central to their discourse or love language or whatever but i don't know maybe if it works it's fine it seems very tense yeah they're just one of those couples that fights and then fucks that's how it works for them yeah (laughs) 
So, how do you rate Winter? Winter, I rated almost awesome. Okay. He was close. I feel like he was almost there. You know, I like that he, for the hero that I kind of feel like he was, he he definitely was the more emotionally evolved, which was nice. And emotionally open, you know, even though he did have his insecurities. His insecurities didn't become Ada's problem to the degree that it seems like sometimes happens with heroes. Yeah. Like, the hero's insecurities secure therefore he seeks to control the heroine right he's more i feel insecure therefore wall yeah which you know allows conflict and and is certainly less antagonistic not antagonistic (laughs) maybe (laughs) asshole-ish i think that's where hero's really great it's like dude just because you have issues doesn't mean she needs to be like in a gilded cage yes (laughs) that's a nice way of putting it yes So what about you? How did you rate Winter? For me, he was awkward. Okay. I really liked him a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And you're right. He had a lot more emotional intelligence than we often get from heroes, especially in historicals. I think there was a lot that I didn't like about his freckle fetish. Yeah, that got a little weird. I mean, it would have been one thing if it was like at the beginning and that was it. But no, it just was pervasive (laughs) throughout the story. He he continued to dig it. I didn't need to be reminded of it. (laughs) You know, it, it was fine just knowing initially and that would be it. That's good. Thanks. And I also, I can understand why he wasn't, but I wanted him to have more empathy for Ada's situation. Yeah. I mean, of the two, I mean, she has a little bit less, but yeah, he left his empathy pants at home. He did. If he even had any. This is How true. did you rate Ada? <laughs> I didn't. I left it blank. <laughs> That's convenient. <laughs> She and I just don't jive. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe we're too similar. Maybe that's why I don't like her. She reminds her too much of myself. <laughs> that is a very unpleasant mirror. Maybe somewhere between awkward and awesome. Because I loved that she could handle herself. And I love that she was taking care of her things. Yeah, it would have been better if she was a little more compassionate about the scar thing. Sometimes we say things and then later go, ooh, that was an unfortunate phrase. I also rated her um, awesome. Yes. I think I've used that before, but I couldn't. (laughs) Yeah, you have. No, I agree with you. She, there were a lot of things about her that were awesome. I really liked that she was independent and clung to that fiercely and was living her life and doing her own thing. I think where she fell short for me was her reliance on Sam. Yeah, the whole alkalite thing. Yeah. It felt awkward because it almost felt like the author was like, okay, so she needs a reason to not stay. I know. Her brother thought love was stupid. Yeah. It just didn't feel like the best choice the the author could have made, I think. It was so much not her, too. Like you said, like, it's her brother's thing, so it's, it's so not hers. I think she still would have, in the moment, chosen to take the job to New Orleans in spite of loving Winter, even if the whole thing with Sam wasn't a thing, because she didn't have any money, and what else was she going to do? She clearly really wanted to be in independent yeah if you have your pride and you value your independence then yeah i mean i get it she didn't need that extra bit where it was a man telling her what to do yeah and here look i've solved all of your problems for you yeah as an 18 year old boy you know like (laughs) yeah just 
Oh, that grated on me. Like, I didn't mind that she had the picture in the locket and she found comfort from it. And I didn't mind the whole uh, live in the moment thing. I think if the author had left it at that, I wouldn't have felt that it was awkward. What about the villains? Dr. Yip, I really enjoyed him. He was creepy. (laughs) It was described in the book, like, where he was just, he was trying to be so consoling about something that was just so horrible. And I like that. I like that he was that kind of villain and not such a aggressive in your face. And it does make me wonder, I mean, when you have a story in which, you know, magic is a thing and and spirits are the thing, like, who's to say he's not right? That there was some force out there really wanting him to do the things that he was doing yeah and it leaves me with questions and and wanting (laughs) wanting to know things that i don't necessarily think will be answered in book two probably not i don't know if i'd put him all the way awesome necessarily but i really enjoyed him i wonder if sam almost should be on the villain list since he does keep the lovers apart yeah i think for winter he's definitely a villain yes In which case, I think he leans a little more towards awkward. (laughs) Well, just also because if he's supposed to really fulfill that role, even if it is for winter, he kind of needed to be... uh, It's so tricky because with her, she idolizes him. And since she is the way in which we view Sam, we don't necessarily get a full picture of who he is or was. No, we don't. For me, I agree with you about Dr. Yip. I thought he was awesome. He was a great villain. (laughs) I got like, I don't know if this is problematic or not but i got kind of like big trouble in little china vibes okay i enjoyed him a lot Because at the beginning of the book, he's like friendly and everything. But as um, after you find out that he's not, you know, that he's actually the villain, you get that whoa shit moment. Oh, his slippers are actually horrible. They signify this other (laughs) thing. And you realize he seems more sinister at the beginning. Like when I went back to to go through my notes and I reread that section, he came off much more sinister. I think it's one of those things like if... If you reread the book, you'd be like, oh, watch out, watch out, watch out. Watch out. Yeah, well, I mean, even during the my first listen, because I actually did listen to the to it twice. And there's that part where she's about to get in the car with him. Yeah. And then I think just before then or something. Oh, I think it's one of her discussions with Winter where it was like, you know, as a single woman, you know, you have to be careful, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, then you don't get in the car with the dude. Yeah. Barely know him. You don't get in his car. Yeah, no, I had that moment too. Like when he's persuading her to get in the car, I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't do it. 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 Have a talk in the lobby. You hear that, that advice that maybe not every woman gets when she's a girl, but it's that be rude. It's okay to be rude. Yeah. (laughs) Women, especially, well, you have to be polite. No, if you start feeling unsafe, no. (laughs) Go ahead. Cut him off. Be called a bitch. It's better to be called a bitch than have something really horrible happen to you. I'd rather be bitchy than dead. Exactly. Depending on the household, bitch can be a term of endearment. (laughs) True story. And then for Sam, I agree. As a as a villain, he 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 is kind of awkward because you don't really get a good handle on who he is. He is pervasive in the story. He's like this idol that Ada wants to live up to, and he's a mountain blocking Winter's way. Yeah, to Ada's heart. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
but he's not really a person. He's more of an idea in this story. Yeah, I I wish he felt more like a fleshed out person since he was such a big part of the story. Yeah, I wonder how that would have changed the story if he had been more humanized. Yeah, I don't know. How did you rate the book? I gave the book a 3.5. I enjoyed quite a lot of of the things. I really like how Bennett did action scenes. I think she did that really well. Yeah, I agree. You know, I found it entertaining. I was engaged. Yeah, 3.5. What about you? I gave it a 4. Yay! I think at first it took me a little bit to get into it. Um, I wasn't sure about the 1920s setting, but I did end up really engaging with it and enjoying that aspect of the story. I really liked Ada. I really liked Winter for the most part. I think that their love was a little frustrating. Yeah. But I liked the mystery that they had to solve, like who was after Winter and why and how are these ghosts behaving differently from what Ada's used to. That kind of stuff. And I liked that the villain was after the hero instead of the heroine. Yeah. I thought that was nice. And that he even like miscalculated. He thought that they were just, you know, they didn't care about each other. Like he thought Winter wouldn't come to save her. And he thought she'd be fine with banding up against him. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was really interesting. Like he didn't believe in love either or whatever. (laughs) So do you feel like you'll continue the series? There's two other books. So that's the brother and and then, yeah, the third one is the sister and Bo. I might. Yeah, I might. It was fun. I might continue to, you know, certain stories you just really need to be in the mood to enjoy. I don't know if my mood is quite there, but I could definitely see continuing the series. I do like a historical, despite the fact that I do get frustrated with some of their aspects. Some of the tropes. Yeah. It's the, let's take away all of her power and agency. I'm like, then she can't (laughs) do anything, which was not the case in this story. I'm not trying to say that it was. It's part of the issue that I have. I'm like, if a character can't go get the things that they want, then what are they doing? Oh, a lot of naval contemplation. Isn't that fun? Mm -hmm. I don't always have a attention span for that. Did you feel romanced? No, (laughs) but... That shouldn't be surprising. I feel, uh, I wish I could say yes. I want to say yes, but I don't. (laughs) So I can't. Unless I want to lie, which we have established you don't want me to lie. No, I like truth. I know you you like truth. That's why I frequently disappoint you. (laughs) Uncomfortable truth. (laughs) So what about you? Did you feel romance? I did. It kind of was a slow one for me. I was taken by surprise by the end where I was like, huh, okay, yeah, I'm actually into it. Because at the beginning, uh, Winter's sexuality is so over the top that I'm just like, whoa, buddy, calm down there. He is very intense in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're kind of like, you know, he needed that cold bath. He really did. (laughs) But by the end of the story, I was really appreciating it. And I did like their chemistry. They had a lot of really good banter, a lot of quippiness. And while they had a lot of the, you know, down and out sort of arguments, they also had a lot of like the little tease tease sort of arguments. And I thought those were funny. I enjoyed those. Be an adult. (laughs) Screw you. Yeah, basically. Uh huh. I know. I love it. 
<laughs> it can it can feel a little bit too much, but yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was good for this couple because they are so combative. Sometimes it can be really good to have that that banter. What else have you been reading? The author is Lulu Miller and the book is Why Fish Don't Exist. I'm intrigued. You may have some familiarity with this already. Yeah, I remember you telling me about this book. Yeah. Then. So Miller, who's a NPR reporter, wrote a book about David Starr Jordan, who was a taxonomist that named a whole bunch of fish, essentially. One of the things he's known for is the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco. He caused it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll talk later. <laughs> He did not cause the earthquake. That's not what I'm trying to say. But anyway, 1906, San Francisco earthquake. He has all of his fish everywhere, right? That he's naming and it's lovely and interesting. And, and uh-oh, earthquake. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No. So he, I guess, very quickly triaged his thing. and was like, amongst this chaos, I need to put order to it. Which Miller had first heard about this years ago and was like, sort of treated Jordan a bit as a joke. Like, ah, oh, buddy. Mm-hmm. And then when she was going through a dark period in her life, she was sort of kind of saw the wisdom in when things are in chaos, needing to put order to it. So Miller goes on this discovery of learning who David Starr Jordan was, you know, from his youth to his adulthood and trying to reconcile with who that young boy was who was interested in science and truth to the man he became who still had an interest in science but didn't seem to adhere as quite so much to the truth so and i think this will be right about the point where i need to to go into the warning section this either might serve as caution for some people or intrigue i don't know i don't know that your life enticement <laughs> so i i think you'd really like this book personally i think you'd enjoy reading it in which case if you do then we could discuss and that would be fun so anyway the warning is so there's physical and mental abuses of various kinds discussed throughout the book miller talks a lot about her own mental health so take care topics get kind of unpleasant but life can be unpleasant so what's also discussed is i guess jane stanford you know stanford university so mr stanford his wife may have allegedly been poisoned there is possibly maybe allegedly a person named david star jordan who may have done it maybe Okay. There's evidence. It may be circumstantial. I'm not saying that he did it. Evidence, not proof. Yeah, it was definitely like, huh. He could kind of be a little bit cruel. And anyway, also what is discussed is his belief in eugenics. So again, it's one of those, not so much with the science, definitely in the the belief and sort of pushing that pernicious agenda of human mistreatment. So yeah, maybe, maybe I made that book sound good. Maybe I didn't. He sounds like a very complicated sort of person. Definitely. Miller tackles that and she does, a, I think, a really wonderful job. And if you do like audiobooks read by the author, this is one of those. And there is a little cute family moment at the end. So just in case you're like, ugh, feeling a little weighted down by the topics. So yay. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, 
What are you reading? So a little while ago, I finished The Lady and the Orc by Finley Fenn. It's the first in a series of books called Orc Sworn. It's a fantasy romance. I don't know. I hesitate to call it a romance, honestly, because even though it lives up to the tropes of romance and I think definitely falls within the genre, it's not a book that I read and felt, woo, I felt romanced. Even though I ended up rating it five stars, I rated it five stars because I just thought it was fascinating the culture that the author created of the orcs and how they interacted with the culture of the humans. I was really into that aspect of it more so than the romance aspect of the What were some of the interactions that were interesting? Okay, so our our heroine is Lady Noor and she's married to a total asshole who's an abusive jerk. Oh, goody, one of those. He is a lord. He mistreats her terribly does he die he's left her alone in charge of the home you know while he goes off to war and he took all the guards with him because he's an asshole and so she's like well what about the orcs if they attack we won't have anyone to protect us and he's all well sucks to be you (laughs) and rides away Hmm. now of course the orcs do attack and they are looking for her specifically and they kidnap her and take her back to orc mountain she is a captive of he's called the captain of the orcs but he's basically like their king named Grimar and Grimar has stolen Lady Noor as a tactical move to basically end the war between the orcs and the humans and you learn more and more about the nature of this tactical move as the story progresses there's a lot of weirdness between him and Lady Noor because he asks her at the beginning like he says he's not going to rape her or anything like that but he wants her to be his mate and all this and and do it freely and she ends up promising to because she's like well you know it can't be worse than being married to <laughs> lord nor yeah, seriously you know <laughs> it's gonna it's got it's only gotta go up right and at least he doesn't want to rape me so there's that <laughs> <laughs> She's thrust into the society of orcs. And the way it works in this world is that orcs are only male and they can only have children with human women and their children are always sons. And so there's great emphasis placed on, you know, you will give me sons, like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. And apparently historically, the orcs and the humans, you know, that was a fine thing. But now it's like, no, no, bad, bad. (laughs) Eventually, she convinces him, hey, you'll catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And so he kind of changes his approach with her. But that only really makes her fall in love with him. And then he ends up betraying her before the end oh no of course there is a happy ever after because it's a romance (laughs) so it's fine i guess technically Uh oh (laughs) (laughs) technically it's fine (laughs) a technical fine lady nor is a super badass heroine because she's one of those heroines that you she's in that situation that you hate um where all her agency is stripped (sighs) and what does lady nor do she's like Fuck that. (gasps) Yay! (laughs) So I really appreciated that aspect of her character because she she does fight for herself every step of the way. Content warning. It is dark. Sounds it. There's a lot of betrayal. There's a lot of intrigue. And there's a lot of cum. Okay. Noted. (laughs) (laughs) A lot. Yikes. If I'm getting this level of warning... (laughs) 
I just want you to be prepared, Em. I'm for the deluge. Oh, jeez. I, I, I might not need it if there isn't an audiobook. <laughs> the deluge of the luge. <laughs> the lady in the lake? Nope, that's not right. <laughs> Although maybe that's a more appropriate title, depending on. <laughs> hey, you're the one that said dumb it. I can't talk. I can't talk when I'm this tired. Oh, oh, and and exhibitionism. Oh, okay. That did not yeah. go the direction I thought it Nope. <laughs> All right. That's it for this time. On that note, <laughs> check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or find us on Twitter at RomanceMeCast. So join us next time when we discuss Stripped by Zoe Castile. Bye! Bye. (laughs) You're gonna be happy the fish don't exist. She does address the non-existing thing. And they don't exist. They totally don't. It's so awesome. (laughs) I want to.